Welcome to the Business Bookshelf podcast, where I interview business authors and talk about their newly released books. Today, I interview Alistair Gordon about his book called Master Expert, how to use expertship to achieve peak performance, influence, and seniority in a technical role. So Alistair is the CEO of Expertunity, an expert coach, speaker, and author. A long-time veteran of the media and organizational development worlds, he has been publisher of one of Australia's best-known business magazines, BRW. And the reason I was interested in interviewing Alistair is because I've been in the technical world for quite a long time. Started off as a developer um, and then in sales as a technical role. And so I've always got the opportunity of either moving to be a more technical person or a more sales-focused person. And so the book that he wrote, co-authored, called Master Expert, How to Use Expertship to Achieve Peak Performance, Influence, and Seniority in a Technical Role, is something that I've been particularly interested in. And I've seen it myself. Technical experts don't rise in organizations. They get locked into the same role year after year because they're too difficult to replace. And so how does that technical expert get salary increases? How do they rise in the organization? You know, eventually, if they want to rise, they have to leave. And then that organization loses that technical expert anyway. It's also, you know, I find, I've seen it myself, and when I've dealt with people, that I need to learn how to deal with people because I'm more biased towards technical. And so I'm not a gregarious salesperson. And so I need to actively learn how to do the people elements. And that's really important if you're going to rise as a technical expert. So that's why we're interviewing Alistair Gordon. I'm interviewing Alistair Gordon today on his book, Master Expert, How to Use Expertship to Achieve Peak Performance, Influence, and Seniority in a Technical Role. So if you're a technical person, you'll love this interview. If you're a manager and you lead technical people, then maybe you'll learn how to deal with them better and keep them happy and help them to rise in organization and keep them fulfilled. So whoever you are, you're going to enjoy this interview. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Thank you very much for the invite, Lance. It's amazing having you. I'm absolutely loving your book. It's so valuable. Um, Alistair, where am I speaking to you today? Um, I'm I'm in Sydney on the northern beaches of Sydney, where we're um, unfortunately locked down at the moment, but that's okay. Um, we'll be out soon, we hope. I was going to ask you that because it's amazing that you've had so few cases, but you're still in lockdown. Uh, uh, in, in Australia, if we have more than three cases, they close the entire country, Lance, almost immediately. So it's um, they I think they're finally figuring out that maybe they can't eradicate it. So we'll, we'll see how we go. I was born in Britain, so I was used to, you know, rain, dark days for, you know, 11 and a half months of the year, two weeks of summer. Um, And, you know, we spend a lot of time, as you know, the Brits are very good at spending sports that are indoors or sitting down, generally speaking. So the thing, of course, I love about Sydney is that it's got a beautiful temperate um, uh, climate all year round, even the winter's not really a winter. So very outdoor walking, walking on the beaches. Sydney's a beach city, and um, you know, very um, green and verdant with all the uh, the national parks around it. So we're we're really blessed with a very beautiful city, which has the harbour at the centre. So I enjoy boating and um, uh, walking along the beach. That's pretty much pretty much occasional, you know, disastrous game of golf, Lance. 
<laughs> that sounds wonderful. So Alistair, on to you and your book. Could you start off by giving us an overview of your career and leading to the writing of the book? Yeah, so I started off in um, publishing. That's my um, original um, uh, work that I, I got into, original profession, if you like, and I eventually came out from the UK um, to Australia to launch some magazines for a, um, a Dutch company, actually. And um, and then did that for a while. Then I set up my own publishing company um, and we spent lots of time working with subject matter experts. Um, so um, a lot of IT magazines, finance magazines, marketing magazines, those sorts of things. For those of your listeners who remember what magazines were um, and <laughs> And then eventually um, sold that business um, to a large publisher here and um, started looking around for, uh, you know, businesses to invest in that were scalable and, and what have you, and came across a leadership development business, which is one of the businesses that we have. Um, and from there, we, um, uh, you know, we've really been trying to professionalize what we do, make, make it, you know, participant experience really good. And that's, that's actually where the expertship piece came from originally, where we were doing some work with some CIOs and um, they said they had all these technical superstars, but they, they, they weren't fulfilling their potential. And we did some exploration around that. And that's where the whole sort of expertship piece came from. And I'll talk to you about my particular situation towards the end of the podcast, because that's one of the benefits of having a podcast where I interview experts like yourself. I can ask you a personal question every now and again, but let's get on to your book. Because I consider myself an expert and, and I need to develop to be a master expert. And that's why I'm really enjoying your book. It's called Master Expert, How to Use Expertship to Achieve Peak Performance, Influence and Seniority in a Technical Role. And so, Alistair, what led you to writing the book? I, you know, I guess that's pretty self-explanatory, but maybe just tell, tell the listeners about it. And then can you give us a brief overview of the book? Yeah, so originally, um, I, I mean, the, the provenance of all of this was we were, we were running lots of leadership programs for people leaders for a lot of corporate clients. Um, that's what our, our main business does. And um, as I mentioned, we started working with subject matter experts and we, we did quite a lot of research into what they were missing to be more influential. So what, what tends to happen with subject matter experts is they spend a lot of time, maybe 10 or 15 years, Lance, getting to the point where they're technically brilliant. Um, but they then hit what I call a technical ceiling, um, which is, you know, they've got a lot more value to add. They can be a lot more strategic. They can be a lot more involved in innovation and so on. But they get stuck just doing, you know, repetitive stuff. They get stuck in their technical bubble and they're not particularly proficient at what I call enterprise skills, which are, you know, all of these skills that um, help you actually articulate uh, your, your expertise to people who are not technical. You know, we, we all probably know lots of technical experts who are unbelievably, amazingly technical and brilliant, but they can't really explain to us what they do without using a lot of jargon and, yeah. you know, confusing us. And, and eventually we start rolling our eyes and losing the will <laughs> to live. So, you know, the, the idea really was to, you know, build programs that did that, which we've done. Um, but then we realized there's a lot of people out there who we're never going to be able to touch with our programs. So how do we, how do we get the message out there? The, the impact on experts of learning these enterprise skills is enormous, like almost without exception, 
it's life-changing for them in terms of the impact they can they can make in their organizations the fulfillment they get from their their jobs um you know the value they're creating for their teams and for themselves so um we thought well we need to get it out to more people and the obvious way to do that is write a book and we thought that would take us about 15 minutes and it took three years well, just to tell everyone that it's 747 pages. So I was going to ask you that because it's it's a massive book with so much information in. And what I love about your book as well is the self-assessments and the spaces where you can almost write in into the book. I, I guess that's your, your what you intend to do, that, that people actually jot down notes every every chapter and we're doing the self-assessments in your book, eh? Yeah, the idea is it's kind of if you can't attend a course, which is which is usually the best thing to attend because you then get to discuss all these things with other experts and and what have you. But if you can't attend a course, then um, you know it's it's really it's more of a manual than it is sort of a narrative book, as you'll have gathered. So you can jump in and out. Um, it wasn't we certainly didn't start by intending it to be seven hundred pages. Um, uh, and if we'd have thought it was going to be that big, we probably wouldn't have started, Lance. But, um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, there's a lot of, as you'll have gathered as you're going through the book, there's a lot of interrelationships between the different parts. You know, your ability to be really good at stakeholder management. That means you've got to have good influencing skills. That means you need to understand the strategic piece. So there's a lot of bits that sort of fit together. And, um, uh, you know, so we ended up um, uh, doing the whole <laughs> 700 uh, uh, pages, which is probably why it took so long to write, I'd say. No, it is amazing. So, Alistair, you were use the word expertship, um, and you you related to leadership. So, expertship versus leadership, and I'll ask you a question around that later in the podcast. But I want to start with master expert, and I love the way that you divided into like four areas of development up to master expert being the top. Could you tell us what you mean by? the term master expert and maybe a little bit of an overview of how you know you can the different the four different areas but you know not in much detail I have to read your book to get that but what is the ascension from the lowest to the highest rank which is master expert yeah so if i if i could just go back one step and and sort of say that you know if you think about many of your listeners will work in organizations and and those organizations will have people leaders and those people leaders have a thing called a capability framework um, which which is typically describing what skills and behaviors you need at each level of leadership as you go up the organization and most large organizations have you know very sophisticated capability frameworks and then they have a whole part of programs that help you grow those skills so that you're when you get promoted to the next level, you know, you're ready to be successful at that next level and so on. Yeah. It, it struck us very early on in the piece of working with experts that experts don't have a capability framework. You know, there's, there's no way of describing how good an expert you are and what the difference between, for example, being a master expert and just a specialist, you know, might be. So, yeah. so what we did was we went back and we did a lot of research and, and came up with a capability framework for experts. And what this allows experts to do is um, uh, to really assess, and they can do this on our website, by the way, and then come in and do a self-assessment to assess where, what level of expertship, if you like, they have, um, 
in each of the sort of nine capabilities that we, we have described in the book. So it's basically nine things that experts need to be good at. And only three of those are technical. The other six are these enterprise skills, collaboration, personal impact, um, change, you know, market context, value creation, and so on. So um, now most experts think that in order to be absolutely master expert level, all they need to be is technically brilliant. But um, all the research suggests that the most valuable technical experts in most organizations are people who are technically brilliant and can speak the technical language but they're also able to really articulate the value they're creating out to the rest of the business or the rest of the organization that's non-technical. In other words, they're comfortable having a foot in both camps and they can be influential and value creating in both you know, the technical space and the non-technical space. So that's really where that whole um, you know, capability framework came from. We, we chose the name Expertship because we, we wanted to give it, a, you know, being a, being a subject matter expert and becoming, you know, if you like a sort of a, a guru in the area, um, it needs to have its own name. It's a particular skill set. Yeah. Um, most experts have hugely complicated working lives. You know, they have multiple managers. They're on multiple projects. You know, they're dealing with, you know, relatively small things that are having to fix and large strategic projects. The, the whole raft of skills actually that an expert you know a master expert needs is enormous and mm. and challenging and i think it's actually harder to get to a master expert than it is a senior people leader because with a senior people leader you've got some leadership skills and you just keep applying them with, with expertship you need a broader range of skills and to be able to talk really well to all sorts of people in your organization so that's where that whole context came from and as you say we've divined you know we've got a We've got a derailing piece at the bottom, which is behaviours that don't add value if you're an expert. And then we've got the specialist level, then the expert level and the master expert level. And most of the people that we work with are already at expert level. Um, and we open the door to them to get to that, that next level where they can create extraordinary value and, and, and really make a difference. Sure. And you're right, Alistair. I, I'm, as I'm reading our book, I'm feeling that it's a huge amount of work and that I need to do the work because, you know, maybe I'm a specialist and I need to get to master expert level and I, I will make it a priority in the next few months to do all the exercises in your book. But the, what I struck me about the master expert is the it, it becomes more outward focused than inward focused, more strategic than sort of operational, um, you know, looking to out in the horizon. Is that kind of what a master expert does? He, he now steps into this role of guiding the organization in a way instead of just working in the organization. Could that be kind of a main differentiator between a master expert and a specialist? Yeah, definitely. And um, because we become experts tend to work for quite a long period of time in the same company, not always, but, but quite often. And they they get slightly institutionalized in, in, that, in that sense. Yeah. Uh, and the best way for me to demonstrate this would be to, um, with your permission, just a very brief story. So I was Please working, I, I regularly work with groups of IT professionals. And um, one of my favorite things to do with IT professionals is to ask them, you know, um, how do you know what the business, like i.e. the non-IT the non people, how do you know what the business wants IT to deliver? And their typical, their typical answer to that, Lance, is that 
they say, well, we go and ask the business. And I say, okay, all right, fine. So can I ask you IT people, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you know as IT people about the impact that IT could have in terms of improving, you know, this organization and its performance? And of course they say, well, you know, well, eight, nine, 10, you know, occasionally a very sort of cocky person will say 11, you know, <laughs> we can add enormous value in this area. Yeah. And then I asked them, so if I took a standard group of senior executives who are not IT people in your organization, how much do they know how much IT can add value to your organization? And generally speaking, the IT team just fall about laughing and, and say things like they can't even fix their own phones. You know, um, they, they'll they'd score them a one or two. And then we have this conversation about, so let me get this right. You know lots about what value your technical prowess could could add value to the organization. But you're asking the people who know least about it for direction as to what you should do. Yeah. It, it's a complete disconnect. And the only way to solve that problem is to for the experts to start looking outside the organization and asking and asking the, the business leaders questions nothing to do with IT, but you know, for example, who are our strongest competitors? Where are they growing? You know, who, who buys our products and services and why? You know, why do they buy the competitors' products and services? So exactly as your question suggested, um, the experts, to become master experts and add real value, have to actually look outside the organisation at what's going on, what we call market context. And, and then they'll see the opportunities to add real competitive value or community value if you're in the public sector um, to their organisation. They have to get external, much more strategic, longer um, time. You know, they need to be looking at what's going to, what, what a customer is going to want in two or three years' time, not just 20 minutes' time. So that external piece, I think, is, is really the key factor. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and now, Alistair, I'm going to ask you a fairly difficult question because I'm not sure how you're going to answer this in five minutes. <laughs> and I don't expect you to give long detail about each section because that's why they need to read your book. And just to remind everyone, we're speaking to Alistair Gordon about his really fantastic book, Master Expert, How to Use Expertship to Achieve Peak Performance, Influence, and Seniority in a Technical Role. Now, you did mention that there are nine areas and capabilities of expertship. Do you possibly, um, could you share what those are, uh, if possible, um, with us? And so, uh, you know, what they are, and a, a one sentence on each of them, if possible. Yes, by all means. So, so what we, we've, in our, that capability framework that I was talking about, Lance, is basically what we call three domains. So one of them is the technical domain. Um, and these are the sort of technical skills that typically experts have, um, you know, a lot of. They've been, you know, spending years and years and years um, uh, acquiring these. So they'll have lots of expert knowledge, which is one of the capabilities. Um, they'll be very, very good at solving technical problems, which we call solutioning. Um, and they'll sometimes, a bit more patchy, I have to say, they'll be good at knowledge transfer. That is to say, helping and building people's capability to solve their own problems. Um, so that those three in the technical domain, um, you know, generally speaking, when we when we survey experts, they're pretty strong in those three areas. The next area is the relationship domain, and this is really that sort of interpersonal skills and and uh, area. So we have a, an area called personal impact, which is you know how you communicate with people, 
um, how you build relationships, um, uh, you know, what, what sort of personal impact you have on them. Stakeholder engagement is the, is the second one in the relationship domain. This is a super important one for most experts because they have an enormous number of stakeholders very often. Um, and, uh, you know, building win-win relationships with stakeholders is hard work um, and not something necessarily that experts are supernatural at. And then the final area is collaboration. And it's, it's a word that's used, I'm sure you've, in a lot of the business book interviews that you've been doing, you know, has been, you know, really, um, you know, I, there's a number of books I can see that you've interviewed people on about, about collaboration, but it yeah. really is an area where, um, you know, if you're going to create value as a master expert, you need to be very good at, at helping people collaborate. And then the final area is the, that external piece that you were talking about. Um, so we call the market context, which is basically understanding the environment in which your organization is, is working and understanding, um, uh, you know, being a student, if you like, of the market and the marketplace and, and the environment in which it's operating. Um, value impact is the second one. And this is understanding how value could be created in your industry or your professional for your organization. And then the final one, um, that old chestnut, chestnut change change agility if you're going to if you're going to innovate and add more value you have to be able to be a really good change catalyst but also be able to be a change leader and and help the organization change so so those are the a very quick run through of the of the nine capabilities wow that's amazing so technical domain expert knowledge solutioning knowledge transfer relationship domain personal impact, stakeholder engagement, collaboration, and value domain, which is market context, value impact, and change agility. Now, Alistair, you told us a story at, you know, at the, the, earlier in this podcast. Could you tell us another one? And you've, your book is littered with, with stories and of technical experts. Could you give us a real-life example of someone that you've helped to grow into becoming a master expert from one of the other the areas, whether whether a specialist or an expert, and how you've helped them guide them to become a master expert. I I, I thought about this given um, you know the the prep that you sent me, Lance, and I, I think I'd like to choose an example of um, uh, someone who you know I won't name or I'll call I'll call her name something different. Let's call her Dorothy. Yeah. Um, but Dorothy um, is probably somebody who wasn't contemplated as an expert she she's a, a a corporate lawyer she was a junior lawyer in quite a large firm um and i remember that when she came on one of our programs she was um like sitting next to i think there was a, an auditor um on one side of her i think there was a software developer on another side of her and there was a scientist across the way and i could see her looking and thinking who's nominated me for this course and am i in the right room and you know, what am I doing sitting next to all of these super technical people? Because Dorothy didn't perceive herself as technical um, or, you know, as an expert. You know, she defined herself as a, as a lawyer. And as we went through the program, um, uh, you know, we talked to Dorothy about what were the things that made her successful. And, um, and, and particularly, what were the things that made people in her profession much more successful than her and as we went through that it became apparent to her that her knowledge of the law was as good as several more senior um, lawyers that that were in her working group 
Um, but those more senior lawyers um, had way more influence um, and impact and could get the rest of the business to really listen to them in a way she couldn't. And obviously, as we went through the program, she she gradually realized that, you know, your your technical knowledge, whether it's of IT or science or law or what have you, is your ticket to the game. Like, that's why you're employed for that technical knowledge. But the real difference is that ability to influence people, to talk in their language, not legal uh, prose, um, to, you know, build a relationship, to explain things in non-technical ways. Um, she realized that it was all of those other skills that she hadn't spent time um, developing um, that she needed to develop that would, would make her influential. She's she's still with the same organization, but she's been promoted several times. Wow. She's got enormous breadth now. She's working regionally now rather than just in one country. Um, she's perceived as, you know, the go-to person. And the reason she's perceived as a go-to person is because they know they'll get a plain English answer. It'll be, you know, uh, positioned in business talk rather than legalese. Um, and, you know, she's just incredibly easy and effective to work with. Um, and that actually has nothing to do with her legal training. It has everything to do with her expertship skills. Sure. So she, she's someone I think who's, who's just demonstrated that with a little bit of application around some of these skills, she's, she's absolutely accelerated her career and the impact that she's having on her organization and the process that you had with dorothy because she went on your course and we'll talk about your company expertunity now and um, but did she go on your course and then do you have did do you have or did you have regular mentor sessions with her how does it work after um after going on the course is it self-development after that or do you continue to guide them no, definitely continue to guide them. Um, so there's almost as, not, not quite as much, but almost as much that goes on afterwards. Um, because the, the workshops that we do at the beginning really are about illumination, um, understanding what techniques you might want to use. Um, so they're, they're, they're really informational in lots of ways and, and getting the mindset right. Helping experts realize there is, there is a master, there's a level above expert that they can reach. And then we, we do a series of um, sort of small coaching sessions and, and feedback sessions um, for three or four months afterwards to embed those skills. So people come off our program with a personal growth plan, you know, the things that they're going to try and do differently, the, the, the new skills they're going to master. And then we coach them through um, doing that. And, and very often they hit some speed bumps, Lance, you know, mm. uh, some of the change, some of the behaviors they're changing are, you know, real muscle memory. They've, they've been doing things, you know, the whole time they've been in their profession in a particular way. Experts, for example, um, generally speaking, are asked for their opinion. So they're very good talkers. And, and by definition, that doesn't make them brilliant listeners. Um, but actually, one of the key skills most experts need to learn to get to master expert is to ask the right question for the right reason at the right moment. Um, and really explore what it is the business or the client or the stakeholder really wants them to do. So suddenly going from giving your opinion a lot to asking really penetrating questions, that's quite a big behavioral change. Yeah. And people do need support post-program to do that. But, but I have to tell you, the good news is, Lance, that once most experts understand what the value of those skills are and how that increases their kudos and influence and impact, 
Um, you know, most experts, I'm sure, just like you're very smart, and they very they pick it up very quickly. Oh, very what, what smart. Yeah, very smart. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, Alistair. Now we come to the personal question, and for me uh, personally, I I am a I have got a driver personality, and I, I have developed that over the years as I've worked for organisations and worked for myself. And I'm no pushover by any stretch of your know, imagination, but I'm also more of a support person than a leader. And I was, you know, I have breakfast. I'm fortunate to have breakfast with my father every two weeks. And I was saying to him that I've never been in a leadership position anywhere in my entire life, and I'm not young anymore. So whether it's work or church even, or maybe some people would say my family, uh, I, I'm more a support person there as well. And my wife was saying the other day, like, Lance, why are you worried about being a leader? And uh, I don't want to be a leader, really. I want to be the, the, the you know, the, the expert that you, the master expert. And she was saying, like, if you want to progress and earn a higher salary, because, you know, get out of them, almost maintain the middle class, which is shrinking and support your family, chances are that you will have to become a manager one day. And, um, you know, so I want to ask you of your thoughts around that. Do you think, and you were, you know, you were leading it to earlier, but do you think, say me, for example, do you think I could have, if I become a master expert, can I have a career progression if I guide it properly that, you know, gets to the same level almost as a leader in an organization with the same benefits, the same pay grades, all of that kind of thing. Do you think that's possible today with the right, you know, how, if you guide your careers correctly? Yeah. Well, um, firstly, it's definitely possible because there's lots of experts in the world who have achieved exactly that goal. And I think that's <clears throat> a very, you know, laudable goal. And, and um, so if you look at some of the most high growth um, businesses in the world and, you know, let's just pick a couple um, that are, you know, very internationally and well, well understood. So, you know, organizations like Alphabet, for example, um, or, you know, Cisco, who do all of our networking, or Salesforce, who, you know, are a very large sort of a marketing automation company. Um, uh, you know, you'll have local examples in South Africa. I've got local examples here in Australia. Those high growth companies pay their experts as much as, if not more than, um, their senior people leaders. Um, so because they understand that the culture in those organizations is it's about the value you create, not about how many people you manage, you know, so, so is it possible? Yes, absolutely. It is. If you're working for the right company, if you're working for a much more traditional company, then the likelihood is that it's very hard um, because the organization's are orientated mindset wise to pay their people leave. They think their people leaders are the most important people in the organization. Yeah. And so they pay them more. And there tends to be a, a point where <clears throat> usually in large organizations, it's level four or level five. You can't get paid at level five unless you, you um, have people reporting to you. And, and the, the terribleness of this um, structure Lance, is that it forces people who don't want to lead. It's not their passion. They, you know what? They might not even be good at leading people. It forces them into leadership positions, um, which, you know, very often um, ends up, 
you know, in tears, frankly. And they um, leave to become consultants or start their own They leave to become or... consultants. They don't yeah. feel they can go back because they've lost kudos. I mean, many of us have, have had that sort of scenario. Uh, the good news is that um, I think we now live in, you know, the age of the experts, I think, has arrived. And, you know, I don't know what it's like in South Africa, Lance, but mm. um, in Australia, every night on TV, all of our politicians talk about taking advice from experts. We, we've heard the word <laughs> yeah. expert more than ever before, I think, in the last 18 months. Yeah. The, the, the age of the experts arrived. People are beginning to understand that pretty much anything new and cool and interesting, you know who's invented it? It's not a people leader. It's an expert. Yeah. And I think people are yeah. beginning to understand now that if they really want to have innovative organisations, they need to be creating conditions for those experts to be really innovative. And they need to be hanging on to their best people and, and so on. I had a meeting this morning with a very large organization in Australia, and it was the sort of organization, the sort of meeting that actually is kind of why we wrote the book, um, where they said to us, we've got a remuneration and benefits um, policy that we're throwing out. It's all orientated around people leadership and how many people you are. We want to create a remuneration and benefits policy that um, remunerates top experts as much as top people leaders. Can mm. you help us do that? Fantastic. And it's, mate, I can't tell you how good I felt when, when that call was finished um, <laughs> because that's the sort of change that we need to see. Um, I, I might add one other thing to, you know, your... Your, the conversations with your wife and your father. Um, you're running a podcast, is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, who, are you are you the leader of that podcast? Uh, yes, I can do whatever I want to interview whoever. Absolutely, I like. you can. But you, you you might not be a capital L leader in the yes. sense that you're leading lots of people. Yes, but you're you're a, a lowercase L. Yes. Um, you're actually showing an enormous amount of leadership and creativity and innovation by yes. doing the podcast and having interviews like this and many of the others that are on your on your website. Yeah. Um, and and that. So I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry to disavow you. This, but you are actually leading every time you put those headphones on. You're you're leading every time you decide on a on a book that you're going to uh, mm. feature on this podcast. And I suspect in your area of expertise, like most experts listening to this podcast, they're leading every day. They're leading mm. in thoughts. They're leading in policies. They're creating new ways of thinking and, and what have you. Um, the leadership is something that everybody is doing at a senior level all the time, mm. whether or not they're called a people leader or not. Um, uh. And it's an, you know it's an important distinction. Um, so I, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to go back and um, both the <laughs> actually, you're a very successful leader, and they just got to change their definition of what leadership actually looks like. Absolutely, it's like it's like sales. Everyone's in sales, whether they realise it or not. That's correct. <laughs> no, fantastic. Thank you. All right, Alistair, your company is called Expertunity, and the website is expertunity.global. And um, what can uh, I hope people go and I have had reports of people going to the website, engaging with the authors and so maybe, you know, I've, I've had emails to say they've got business from the podcast. So what can they do, get if they go to expertunity.global? What can they find on that website? 
Yeah, so if they go to that website, they'll also find some links to some free chapters of the book, for example. So they can they can they can get a taste of the book without um, without having to pay for it, you know, at Amazon or wherever. Um, and um, uh, they'll also get quite a lot of um, uh, information about the sort of different programs that we we run and what have you. We're about to launch some programs that are available for anyone in the world, um, and they'll be you know very low priced and and what have you. They were a couple of months away from doing that. But there's lots of content on there. There's also another website called expertship.com, which is uh-huh. easy to remember. Um, and there's a lot of um, free content tips and what have you on there. So very much part of our, our um, mission is to help experts everywhere. And we, we're, we're aware that lots of people don't work for big organizations and don't have big training budgets. Um, if you do work for a large organization and have big training budgets, please feel free to talk to me about that. Um, but but generally speaking, we've tried to provide quite a lot of um, free advice and um, uh, hints um, on those two websites. And you're right. So I, on the, you've got an expert blog, which has got tons and tons of information on. And the other resources is how to power up your experts, develop growth plans for experts, what experts love about expertship, um, a YouTube channel. Uh, so I must go and have a look at that YouTube channel. So fantastic, a lot of information here. Uh, you, as you said, download an extract. So tons and tons of information. And the Expertunity portal that I presume that's for people who have gone, done, done your, your courses and now you know are um, people that you're engaging with on a regular basis. Correct. And that, that's the thing that we're going to probably make more available to people around the world who haven't been on the program. Um, so we're, we're doing, we're going to be creating some sort of self-paced programs downstream. I mean, we're not ready for that yet. We're just um, sort of ramping up and we've spent quite a bit of time getting this book out. <laughs> so <laughs> we, now, now that that project is finished, we, we can move on to do a few other bits and pieces. Amazing. So, Alistair, thank you so, so much for the book. I really appreciate it. And uh, I, I really do make it a priority. And I'm to go through it. And I encourage everyone on Amazon, wherever, um, Goodreads, uh, to go and find the book, Master Expert, How to Use Expertship to Achieve Peak Performance, Influence, and Seniority in a Technical Role. Uh, I've got, I have the link to the book on Amazon that you can go click on it in the show notes uh, and buy the book. And so thank you. We've been speaking to Alistair Gordon. And thank you, Alistair, for for joining. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Thanks so much, Lance, for the uh, the invitation and the great questions. And I hope you, the listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. If you're interested in listening to something while you're running exercise commuting for half an hour, um, then just look at the other episodes. If you want to learn about leadership and innovation and communication and all these different things that uh, people have written books about, you'll find something of interest to you in the 160 episodes that are of this podcast, part of this podcast now. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at ideastorm.co.za. Website is www.thebusinessbookshelfpodcast.com. And so until next time, goodbye. And Alistair, I hope you get out of lockdown soon again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.